Welcome to Evolution Impossible, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. Our host is Dr. Sven Estring with special guest Dr. John Ashton and our panel. We're continuing our Evolution Impossible journey, exploring whether the theory of evolution is even possible. I'm Dr. Sven Erstring. We have Dr. John Ashton with us who actually wrote a book called Evolution Impossible. It's based on almost 50 years of research that he's done in this area. Thanks for being with us again, uh, John. Joining us today is Justin Tarosian. Good to have you back. Harley Southwell for the first time. I hope you enjoy it. And of course, Melvin Sanderland. Good to have you back as well. Last time we explored the geological evidence for a catastrophic global flood. But of course, there are still animals and people living on Earth today. So all life could not have been destroyed in that event. If there were people who survived, then there may be other historical evidence for a global catastrophe like that. So, John, you've been doing the research for a while now, and we just want to know where would you go to find other historical evidence for the flood? Well, this was one of the most interesting areas of my research when I began looking for the historical evidence for the flood and particularly chronological evidence. So I was very interested in trying to find ancient chronologies. And, uh, and by chronologies, you mean d dates for this event? Well, no, yes. Um, historical accounts that listed dates and mm. chronologies uh, of when events actually happened that could be related to our modern calendar system and so we could work out the times. Mm. Uh, and surprisingly, there weren't too many that went uh, beyond the uh, Assyrian period that uh, we would have. So once you go further than about seven or 800 BC, everything mm. seems to get a little bit... Um, you know, vague. Right. Uh, and particularly Egyptian history is quite problematic, as many people have, have noted, with, mm. you know, perhaps centuries of discrepancies there. Mm. Okay, so you've got Egyptian, you've got Assyrian. Where else would we go for this evidence for, for the flood? Oh, well, worldwide, there are, of course, flood accounts worldwide in, in virtually all the cultures and people that study anthropology and history have made notes on these mm. that uh, the cultures uh, in South America, Central America, North America, Asia, Africa, Australia and Europe mm. uh, all have some sort of account where in the past people were really bad and God decided to destroy the, work, uh, the world. And in most of the cases, probably more than 90% of the cases, the world was destroyed by a flood. There were only a few survivors and those survivors were in some sort of watercraft. Um, and so th this is quite fascinating. When you look at the different accounts, the description in the Bible is one that really sort of fits the scientific uh, so, you know, an accurate historical mm. perspective in that 
the descriptions actually fit sort of science in many ways too, the, the account mm. there. Mm. So we've got the flood account in, in Genesis, the, the Hebrew history. Yes, uh, that's the right, world. as recorded by Moses. And, yes. and what would be another really good flood account, one of the, one of the best? Well, that would be definitely the best. What are you getting at uh, there? In terms of um, in terms of an account which which kind of matches what we read about in the Bible, what's what's the closest match? Well, if you're referring to the Gilmish epic, is that what you're yes, thinking definitely. of? Okay. <laughs> well, that one there is really a more sort of a mythical account okay. of, uh, and you know, it's not really written so much as a historical account. But associated with that, we do have the Assyrian king lists that are recorded, say, on the Weld Blundell prison. Now, that is a more uh, sort of historical type of account that has been recorded, and that records the flood as a historical event. Okay. So that is, is definitely a more powerful mm. um, you know, scenario. Yes, because you, in, in chapter eight of your book, you give some of these examples, like the ones you uh, give now, and also like um, that in China, in one of the languages, the ancient languages, that they have a symbol for the flood. So it's really everywhere around the world that they have like some record of a flood. But you also say that some of them are more mythical based. Is yes. it maybe... Does, is it because there's so many of those stories that might seem like myths that science therefore also ignores kind of the Genesis account of it, that it kind of thinks that everything is therefore a kind of myth? Well, I, I can't, we can't really necessarily say that, but the other accounts are certainly not very scientific, such mm. as some of the accounts have the vessel as a cube, which we know would not be very stable in water. Mm. Other accounts have that the couple were rescued... Uh, in a basket carried by a giant fish and, mm. and this sort of thing. The biblical account, when we look at the dimensions of the ark and so forth, um, it was interesting, I was reading uh, an article only a few days ago that in the 1850s, they began designing ships to roughly the specifications of the ark. Mm. And that went on as part of naval architecture Mm. for quite a long time. So the modern ship design is essentially based Mm. on the rough dimensions of the ark. It was a very, very seaworthy design. Mm. And uh, so that's, you know, some of the interesting facts. But some Mm. of these other stories, yes, they're very crazy. They're associated with some of the uh, people that we associate with Greek mythology, like Mm. Zeus and so forth. Uh, these people and so they're definitely mm-hmm. mythological whereas the account in the Bible lists a particular day and a particular month mm. um, it lists the generations it actually names the people right. and I think one of the really fascinating things that comes out of this that has blown the minds of some of my detractors in this area is that Noah's grandsons the, uh, there are cities named after Noah's grandsons and great-grandsons. Right. Like, for example, Egypt, the country Egypt, is named after Noah's grandson, Mizraim. Mm-hmm. So Egypt is just the Greek translation of Mizraim, that is one of the sons of Ham, one of the sons of <coughs> Noah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, is, that blows people's minds away, that here we have a country that today one of the oldest civilizations on earth mm. and it is named 
after Noah's grandson. As a matter of fact, I have an Encyclopedia Britannica, um, a very old one at home, and the atlas, when you open it up to Egypt, it's not called Egypt, it's called Misra. Mm-hmm. Even though it's in English, it's an English mm-hmm. um, Encyclopedia so Britannica. How do uh, historians and archaeologists and sociologists or anthropologists rather, if it's not for a common uh, experience like a global flood, that led to all of these flood myths all over the world, the hundreds of them that mm. you mentioned a few of. How do they explain all of these nations and people groups detached from each other having similar, at least mm. somewhat similar accounts? Mm. Yes, I'm not sure. Generally, they, uh, I mean, many of them actually say that it uh, reinforces the evidence for the Bible. Mm. Um, and I think the Bible as a historical account. And we need to understand too, that in um, you know, secular education today, there's a lot of emphasis to try and discredit any historical evidence that supports the Bible. Mm. But continuously we're being surprised with particularly more archeological discoveries mm. that are confirming the accuracy of the Bible. Mm. And of course, when we go back to Genesis and pre-flood, uh, what happened before the flood, then Genesis is really the only reliable account that we have. And one of the reasons I think we can believe it is because the history after the flood, as recorded by Genesis, is backed up by other uh, secular history mm. events. Mm. And this is a very powerful evidence. In regard to that, though, you would think that like so soon after the flood, uh, with, with only eight people surviving, but then all these you know, civilizations like Egypt and, and, and Babylonia and all these, all these countries you know, forming, how would, such a, how would such a population grow so quickly after such a catastrophic event? Yeah, so in actual fact, we have a genetic bottleneck there mm. because uh, we have the, uh, I, I, and for people that aren't familiar with the account, we have the account that Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives went into the ark. So they were the only humans, eight people. And it's very interesting that many of these flood myths Mm. Talk about only eight people being saved. Mm. Mm. And I think you mentioned earlier the Chinese one. Mm. It refers to just eight people being Mm. saved. And it's quite interesting that traditionally Noah was believed to have gone to China and founded China. That's Mm -hmm. one of the traditions there. It's very interesting. Mm. But genetically speaking, we have this genetic bottleneck. Now, this raises a number of interesting questions. But I think it points to the fact that very early on, when God created the genomes in living organisms, he created them with massive diversity. Mm -hmm. So there was sufficient genetic diversity in those generations that were only 10 or so, and in some cases more than that, but there were 10 patriarchs prior to the the flood, so so to speak. So we're looking at only 10 generations there. So there's still massive genetic diversity there. Mm. And just to digress a little bit, when we talk about mitochondrial DNA, my understanding is that there are, we inherit our mitochondrial DNA from our mothers, mm. not from our fathers. So when the two gamut cells come together, the male mitochondrial DNA is actually destroyed. So we inherit our DNA from our mothers. Mm. And I understand that there are actually three main classes of mitochondrial DNA, uh, M, N and R from memory. And of course, there were three reproducing females after the, mm. the flood, which is very, very interesting. Oh, three yeah. sort of groups there. So that's sort of a medical. So all these little things, all these little factors are pointing into the detailed accuracy of the Bible. Now, some people say the Bible isn't a, 
scientific sec- textbook, mm. but it's accurate, it's factual. Mm-hmm. It's not trying to be a scientific textbook or explain things away in scientific terms. It's just recording what That's actually true. happens. Mm-hmm. And this is why it is so believable and so important that people read the Bible for themselves and learn. This is our history. Mm-hmm. This is where we came from. Now, to but, go back to how the generations arose so quickly after that time, I can't remember which one it is with Jabez Shem or uh, Ham, but um, we, they record the descendants and there were about 15 or 16 sons that they had. So if we say they had roughly the same number of daughters, you can say they roughly had 30 children. So you've got the three families each having 30 children. And so people have done the calculations that after about 100 years, I forget the exact figure, but you've got something like a 1,000 people or okay. more. Yeah. And yeah. so it's only about 100 years later that some of these chronologies record that that's when um, uh, Mizraim, for example, went down to Egypt and started uh, Egypt. Um, and so it, it, it actually is very feasible. When you do the math, okay. it, it actually works out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quite fascinating. So, John, you talk about Noah as if he is a he was a historical person. Oh, definitely. And and you've mentioned how countries and maybe cities are named after his his descendants. But do you have any other historical evidence that he really really did exist? Uh, that Noah existed. That Noah existed as a historical well, person. Well, there's so many towns that are named after his uh, progeny, sure. and indeed the. You know, much of the history of uh, Europe traces itself back. So, mm. you know, we've got Canaan, we've got Sidon. So many of those towns uh, in that area were named after his grandsons or even the races mm. like uh, Javan. Uh, that was um, one of the grandsons. And, of course, that if you look at Greek mythology, they uh, trace their history back to Japtus, mm. which is another word for Javan. So it's the same. So many of those tribes of Europe, when we look at their own histories, they actually trace themselves back to the descendants, descendants. of Noah. Yeah, interesting. Wow. Their, their, their names uh, mm. are, are there. It, it, it's quite fascinating. Mm-hmm. Mm. And not only that, um, in the Genesis account, you, you've got uh, not only Noah's descendants, but also um, his ancestors as well. And uh, it talks about them living for 800, 900 years mm. um, and oh, his yes, descendants right, living right, yeah. for a certain period of time as well. So, so how would you explain uh, the concept that there could have been humans living for almost a thousand years? Mm. Yes, I mean, that's something that is sometimes raised. Now, it's very interesting. When we look at, say, the accounts of the Sumerian king lists, that they lived you know, 10, 30,000 years, all, all over the place. When we look at the biblical account, the ages of the patriarchs are roughly about 900 years or mm-hmm. thereabouts mm-hmm. before right. they died, Correct. right? And then after the flood, of course, they drop away, you know, very quite quickly. Quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, why does that happen? Now, it's very interesting. I came across a paper that was published probably four or five years ago, but I only came across it recently, where a mathematician did an analysis of those ages that are recorded in the Bible after the flood. Um, Because very interestingly, 
those ages decay and they fit what would be what we would expect from a genomic decay curve so we know from our present day research that dna is accumulating uh, mutations mm. and so we, we expect for you know various reasons the life expectancy to decline mm. and it's quite interesting the data of the ages when you plot the data of the ages of the people that lived after the flood for the next thousand years or so they're decaying as per we would yes. expect and and this is quite amazing so what and would be the so, reason for that well before we get to that one of the mm. things is are these ages made up are they mythical? Yes. Mm. Now, what's happened is they, they, they can do... There are mathematical uh, systems that you, can, uh, you, that you can use that will actually uh, statistically tell you whether a number is likely to have been made up or not or whether it's a natural number. And when they apply these tools to those numbers, they come out that they are likely, most likely, to be genuine numbers and not made up. Mm -hmm. And so this is, again, where we're applying science mm. to the Bible. Yep. We find the Bible is, is getting true. Now, but this speaks kind of against the model of evolution where over time everything should improve, right? Yeah. Where things mm. should get better and better, yeah. but yeah. we're seeing that everything gets worse and worse. That's right. We're accumulating mutations, not mm. accumulating mutations that are beneficial, mm. that help Helpful. us to you know, metabolize and uh, deal with mutations even better and hence live longer. Mm. We're actually succumbing to them. Yes. Mm. So it's fascinating. Why the ages declined after the flood again is open to... You know, we, re we really don't know. But, but there's a, if we look at the data that we have today, there seems to be a cutoff around about 120 years, somewhere between 120 and 130 years now. Yes. People can't seem to live past that cutoff point. And I think it is related to genomic decay. Now, mm. why that happened uh, and why that happened after the flood, uh, we know from the Bible account that after the flood, people were told to change from a plant. Well, not told, they were told rather than just have a plant-based diet, which was the main diet prior to the flood, was a plant-based diet. After the flood, they could eat animals. They could eat flesh foods. And we know now scientifically that flesh foods are associated with reduced lifespan. There's a lot of data out now in the literature at university, uh, Sydney University, the Charles Perkins Centre, been doing research on this where high protein foods and particularly animal protein foods reduce lifespan mm. and so this is data. Mm. There's also an Ashtonian hypothesis if I may be bold to put that forward. Um, Sounds good, with, we're <laughs> looking forward to hearing it. <laughs> well one of the things that fascinating, we've, we've got to look, we had the Bible account there and we had this decline in ages and I was at a conference a few years ago where they were doing, looking at uh, cancer research and uh, the role of deuterium depleted water in extending the life of people suffering by, with cancer and slowing down the rate of the growth of cancer. And this research that's coming out of uh, the Hungarian Institute of Physics and the uh, Samoyas uh, Medical University over there in Hungary. Um, and essentially, at the present time, our background levels of heavy water are about 150 parts per million. But if we reduce that uh, level of uh, heavy water in water back down to say, you know, 40 parts uh, per million to a much lower level, plants grow more slowly, there are a lower rate of mutation to DNA. Mm. And this is very significant. 
<laughs> and hence the application possibly. So uh, my, my theory was that when these fountains of the deep opened up, that maybe the underground water would have been richer in deuterium mm. and it spewed all this um, heavy water into the ecosphere which then just reduced the longevity of everything. Mm. And that's when I looked tested, at... And that's something that's been tested in the lab and verified that it actually ha does have an effect on DNA. So it's yeah. actual science. Mm. Yes, yes <laughs> it is actual science, but there's, but there's more. We know that when we find ancient waters that have been trapped, they are lower in deuterium. Mm. And when we look at the groundwaters, though, they're much higher in mm. deuterium. And the reason why we know this is that during the development of the atomic bomb, there was a lot of work done to try and find the richest sources of deuterium mm -hmm. that could be used to slow down the, the neutrons during the nuclear experiment. So mm. there's a lot of mapping was done at the hydrology. Mm. So just little things like this. I mean, this may not be the explanation, but what I'm saying is when we look at some of these things, there are scientific explanations mm. that fit the mm. biblical account mm. of the global flood and it being recent. Mm. This mm. is really exciting mm. stuff, I think, in my view. Mm. I know, Justin, you've got an interest in this area, the ages of yes. the patriarchs. Uh, yeah, definitely. Do you have any questions for John? Yeah, you know, the Bible says in Genesis 1 that when God created the earth, that he separated the waters under the earth from, or on the earth and under the earth from the waters above the earth. And I've heard it suggested that if there was a, a layer of water in Earth's atmosphere or below Earth's atmosphere, that it could have filtered out certain UV rays as well as created a different atmospheric pressure on planet Earth that would have extended the life of, uh, of human beings and individuals. And I know you said that ultimately we, we don't know conclusively, but uh, do you know of any studies that may have looked into the, the effect of different atmospheric pressures on aging or uh, UV rays being filtered out as being helpful? Yes, yeah, so look, these are uh, scenarios that are commonly circulated by, um, by, you know, by Christians trying mm. to fit the Genesis account in. You know, I, I don't know whether water, I don't think, does absorb that much in the UV. I think I UV will still come through water pretty, pretty well. Mm. Um, and, um, but my understanding is not that. I, I don't believe that there was a water layer above the earth. It's okay. because... My belief is that's where the firmament was created. That's where the stars are. That water layer has got to be somewhere out. The scientific evidence doesn't fit a water layer up there. And that was not where the water from the flood came from. Mm -hmm. I don't think the, you can't, the main water from the flood came from the fountains of the deep. Yeah. Mm. Um, all, you know, so you read about you know, the oxygen pressure was different and these sort of things. Well, we know that there was much greater vegetation mm. in the past. And, mm. of course, the green matter produces oxygen and the mm. algae and the plants and this sort of thing. So there would have been perhaps slightly higher levels of oxygen. But this needs to be very tightly controlled. If it's too much higher, then we're going to have different uh, rates of reaction, uh, spontaneous type combustion reactions are going to be more vulnerable. Mm. Really, the design of the planet is just right. It's mm. the Goldilocks planet. Mm. But I think this concept, uh, we, we can't know. But we know that the earth was formed under the water and there was water above what that water is. Uh, God talks about the, the, the stars were created in that. So in my mind, that puts it further out. Mm. But really, we need to talk about things that we can know and measure. And we, mm. we don't really know that much about. But I think if we stay away from that, we're... 
we're, we're keeping out of science that we don't know. Mm-hmm. And John, one of the biggest questions that really fascinates me is the chronology, the dating. So you've mentioned in previous episodes that there have been extinction events which have been recognised to be uh, floods. Um, but of course, the Bible places the global flood fairly recently. Mm-hmm. So is there any historical evidence which supports this idea that the flood happened only about 4,000 years ago? Yes, it's over 4,000 years, 4,500 years ago. Yes, there's fascinating chronologies that relate, for example, and I think one of the best ones is that of Manentho. Now, Manentho was an Egyptian historian that lived about or wrote about 270 BC, so during the Greek era of uh, Egypt. And so he he wasn't a, a Christian or a Hebrew, and he was long before, you know, high criticism and all this sort of thing. And he wrote that uh, Egypt was founded by Mestram, the son of Ham, Mm. and that the uh, dispersion occurred about uh, five years after the birth of Peleg, about 100 years Mm. after Ham. So that really fits. Mm. um, And so there's a number of chronologies. Um, We know there were records that Alexander the Great was given about 1,900 years of astronomical records Um, that dated back to the founding of Babylon. Mm. And so when we calculate those records were given to Alexander about 330 BC, go back 1900, then again you get to a date about 130 years after the flood or thereabouts. Um, Mm. We know that uh, Greek uh, history, their traditional history, goes back that the the first uh, king of Greece was about, I don't know, uh, 15 or 1600 years before the first uh, Olympiad, 770 BC. Mm. And again, when we add these dates up, uh, there's the bamboo annals in China, mm. which is the oldest surviving uh, chronology in China because a lot of their history was destroyed by one of their emperors that lived about um, the first century AD, uh, or first century BC, roughly that time, had all their books and records destroyed, so only a few survived. Mm-hmm. It's a and real they, shame. And they, they place the founding of China at about 1900 BC mm-hmm. with Fu Shi, who traditionally was Noah. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the things, and I've plotted them out, you have that the ones closest to Babylon were founded first, and then you have Egypt, then you have uh, Greece, and then you have China, and they're all within the biblical timeline. incredible. Mm. And these are secular historical records Mm. outside the Bible that confirm Mm. the Bible timeline. And and just as we head towards the close, all of us have been really curious about this this wobble Mm. in the Earth's axis that you wrote about. Uh, Dr. Doggle mentioned. So can you um, just talk about what happened with this wobble? (laughs) Really Okay. Now, uh, George Dobble was a South Australian government astronomer, and he had noted that some of the earlier British astronomers had reported a a variation in the Earth's wobble as uh, predicted by Newcomb's formula. Not Newcomb. Newcomb was uh, an American uh, astronomer that first worked it out. And he said from that data, there appeared to be evidence of a massive disruption of the Earth that caused a wobble in the Earth about uh, roughly about 4000 B.C., Wow, mm. that's amazing. But how accurate that data is, I wouldn't be real strong on that data. Uh, but again, it's something worth looking at. Yeah, yeah, all these things point to the historical accuracy of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's amazing. You know, this has been an amazing journey into history. Uh, did you know that there's so much historical evidence for a global flood? 
And if there was a catastrophic global flood that destroyed most of the life on Earth fairly recently, where does that leave evolution? If you're intrigued by this concept, I'd really encourage you to grab the Bible off your bookshelf or download a Bible app on your phone and start reading through the first chapters in Genesis. You'll be inspired and amazed. Also, go to your favorite online bookstore and get Dr. John Ashton's book, Evolution Impossible. You've got all of the historical stories and, and accounts right there um, laid out for you. It's really, really fascinating. Next time, we're going to be looking at something also very interesting, sedimentary layers and how fast they are eroding. Could it be that our planet is much younger than what scientists usually tell us? Join us as we continue this evolution impossible journey together. Thank you for joining us on Evolution Impossible, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. If you have any comments or questions, send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au or call us within Australia on 024973 3456. We'd love to hear from you.